Let's go ahead and um, we'll get started with our um, normal lesson. Um, this is going to be the last lesson that we talk about with change. Um, we've talked about it over the course of uh, several weeks. Uh, it, uh, uh, if there's one thing that I think it, just one principle to walk away from from all of this is that uh, change is not uh quote unquote a simple thing to enact in a person's life uh change is something that takes uh time it takes a thought it takes uh, a tremendous amount of effort um it uh is uh, not something that you can just uh, casually slip into as we sometimes think we casually slip into uh sinful behaviors and sinful habits uh it's something that uh, requires purposing and uh, we've been using Second Timothy chapter three uh, verses sixteen through seventeen, uh, where it says that all Scripture is profitable, and it talks about the doctrine, the reproof, the correction, and the instruction in righteousness. Um, and the idea behind it is that the man of God may be perfect, uh, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, meaning that that's supposed to be the, if you will, driving catalyst, the driving factor in what we do on a day-to-day basis, the Word of God helping us with those choices so that we can please the Lord with our life. Uh, we left off a little bit with uh, talking about uh, correction and righteous, or excuse me, instruction and in righteousness. We talked a, a bit about discipline, and uh, we moved a little bit into the area of righteousness. I just want to make a mention on uh, a couple of items regarding that. Um, again, talking about making sure that we understand that righteousness is something that is possible. Uh, we don't just, uh, throw up our hands and say, well, you know, we're, we're all sinners anyways, so, you know, what's the sense in trying? I'll just do my best, quote unquote, and, uh, see how it goes. Uh, that's not, that's not, uh, purposing. And we're gonna see somebody that actually purposed to make a change for an entire nation. That's a lot bigger than just making a change for yourself. Uh, because now you've got other people involved. And uh, one of the key things to understand about that change is the way that it impacts others, uh, the way that it can um, cause others to look at you and see the glory of God, which is the idea and the concept behind why we make the change in the first place. Uh, the, the idea for change is not so that we can, quote, unquote, better ourselves, but to uh, actually please the Lord and do his will and to make sure that he gets the glory, honor, and praise. Uh, if we do it for selfish reasons, then the results are going to be very selfish. Uh, they will backfire. They will not turn out the way that we expect. And we are probably going to have to repeat the process over and over and over and over and over again. And sometimes maybe learn each individual part as we go along Whereas God has made it clear, we don't have to go through that. We don't have to do things the hard way. Uh, I've made mention of this time and time again. There are some people that say, well, I just have to learn things the hard way. Well, no, you don't. Uh, that's just stubbornness. That's just rebellion, in my opinion. You know, you get somebody that comes up there and, and, and that's all they want to do is just, uh, you know, get essentially knocked around because they refuse to listen to God. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a big problem. That, that, that's a huge issue. Uh, that's not what God's asked us to do. 
So we, we need to make sure that we have an understanding of what uh, what that righteousness is, why we're doing it. Uh, and again, we'll take a look at that uh, example tonight, Lord willing. Let's go ahead and go ahead and yeah, yeah, there we go. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll get started tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for our opportunities to be here, um, to listen, to hear from you, and uh, to seek to please you with our lives. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will communicate with us and show us from your word that instruction that we need tonight, that uh, uh, correction, the truth that we see, the the rebuke and the reproving as necessary, Lord, that uh, we would desire to follow you and please you in every area of our life, not just partially, but to completely please you with everything that is in our heart. Pray, Lord, that you would just uh, give me the words to speak tonight, that this time we would be honoring unto you and your word. And, Lord, again, I just pray that each one of us would uh, be receptive to what we hear. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, let's kind of uh, back up uh, to a couple of things uh, that, uh, you know, we were talking about, uh, that idea of righteousness, what... uh, uh, um, God was talking about when, uh, the nation of Israel would go about to seek to establish their own righteousness, being ignorant of the righteousness of God that we saw over there in Romans chapter 10, verse three. And again, that shows that, uh, when we try to make the changes, when we try to do the things that the Lord is, uh, um, telling us that we need to do, we have to do them in a scriptural manner. We have to do them according to his standard. And that's, that, that's the biggest issue. If we do everything according to our own will and what we think it is, well, we're going to be really, 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 really messed up. Because let's just be honest, uh, we often do not understand what God's will is for our life. Um, and sometimes we colossally fail to seek it. So if, if we're not actively seeking God's will, not actively seeking to put it into, um, uh, to, to exercise it, to, to put it in action, then we're, we're not going to, to please the Lord. We're not going to make those changes that he wants us to. We're not going to fulfill the things of righteousness. Uh, we kind of left off over there, uh, with Matthew chapter five, verse 20, talking about the righteousness that is in the heart. But uh, I want us to focus on a couple of things from the book of Proverbs, and I want us to turn first and foremost to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23, and again, uh, when it comes to this idea of the the instruction, uh, it's a verse that I want to make sure that we mention in Proverbs chapter 23 and in verse 12, um, and, and this is this is an, a very important principle, a very important principle. It says, "Apply thine heart unto instruction; in thy ears, to the words of knowledge." So he he, he gives you know obviously with, as with most uh, uh, proverbs he gives uh, kind of if you will two points to kind of chew on. Uh, some of them are, are contrasting, some of them are comparisons, some of them are congruent, they work together and uh, of the same principle, and we find that here, but th- th- there's an important way that God puts this down. And, and, and I think that a lot of people sometimes miss this when they read it. Uh, if you look at verse 12, he talks about instruction, and the heart uh, obviously receiving instruction. 
But it's a very different way that the heart receives instruction. We often want to take God's wisdom and apply it to our heart. But that's not what this verse just said. He, 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 he did it completely the opposite direction. And, and again, this goes back to this idea and this mentality of sometimes we think we know what the right kind of way to change is, but we don't do it the right way. If you're trying to apply wisdom in a heart in, the, in this manner, then, then we're going to wind up with some issues. The idea is, is that it's not something that we can just pick and, 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 you know, kind of pull into. It's that we actually have to go to that wisdom. We, we take ourselves, if you will, our heart, and we apply it. We put it on the wisdom. It's totally different than taking wisdom and trying to slather it all over. Now, again, you know, I, 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 it, it kind of seems different that way. But could you imagine trying to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich and, and, and doing it very differently? Could you imagine first starting off with the peanut butter and then taking the bread? That's going to be a mess, isn't it? You just take a big old thing of a, a, a peanut butter and you've got to like, well, I got to do something with it now. And, and then, and then you take the bread and you're trying to like smear it onto the bread off of your fingers and, you know, get in there and, you know, take it and do that. And you're like, <laughs> gross. But, but that's the way that we kind of approach things when it comes to thinking about the way that we need to do it. It's our heart that has to be applied to it. It's our heart that has to be, uh, 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 the, the, if you will, subject to being given. Now, God gives wisdom, and wisdom is out there, and wisdom is calling into the streets. Wisdom is trying to go out there, as we find in the first uh, a few chapters of the book of Proverbs. Um, and there's also, the, if you will, the foolish mindset that's out there as well in Proverbs 7 with that woman. But we find the woman of wisdom out there calling and saying, hey, I've got the real truth over here. And what has to happen is, is we have to go to that truth. We have to go to that wisdom, seek it out, and apply ourselves unto it. Sometimes we, we get it, it, it the opposite way, and, and the problem with that is it becomes, we become the central focus. We become the main thing. That's not the case. Again, I'll go back to my illustration. This may be a horrible illustration. If it is, you can criticize me later. Please do. Uh, but let's go back to the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. What's the core of uh, uh, of that menu item? I mean, what is it? It's the sandwich. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> it's 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 the sandwich, right? The sandwich is not a sandwich without certain key components. And what, what, what makes it that way is what is put inside of it. So here we are as, a, a, you know, claiming to be a Christian 
And, and, and we've got to go to that source. The, the whole concept behind it is that what the Lord is doing, it's his wisdom, not our own wisdom. This was the biggest issue that we saw with the righteousness. They were trying to apply their own righteousness, but they weren't willing to go to God's first. Get that and apply themselves unto that standard. We apply ourselves unto the word of God. Now, I know we often talk about applying the word of God to us, and and we use that in common vernacular as we talk as Christians today. But the, the, the object is, it's always going to be God and his word and his Holy Spirit. We are applying ourselves unto it. He's immovable. He's unchangeable. We're the ones that need to conform to that. We're not asking wisdom to conform to our heart. We're asking our heart to conform to his wisdom. We've got to come to that understanding. This is why I really like this verse, because it it, it completely changes the dynamic of how we think as a Christian. It completely changes it. So as we, as we take a look here a, a, a little bit further, let's take a look at a couple of other passages. Let's go back over to chapter 15 of the book of Proverbs. Chapter 15 in verse 33. <clears throat> and again, it says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. So again, understanding what wisdom is requires an understanding of God. Here, specifically, he's saying the instruction of wisdom. Wisdom is not something that is is just going to drop in your lap as you age. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. Wisdom is, is, is something that has to be instructed. And it involves understanding who God is. See, here's part of the problem, is some people don't understand who God is. So that gives them a very, very, very very different view of what sin is. If you don't know who God is, then sin is is almost an irrelevant concept. If you, if a person cannot understand that sin is exceeding sinful in the eyes of God, that he hates it, that he calls it an abomination, that he wants it completely erased, he does not want it to exist, he, he just wants it gone, hence the giving of himself and the forgiveness of sins that was provided through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it, it was that bad that he had to die on the cross for our sins. That's how bad sin is. Someone had to die. That puts sin in a whole totally different category. And whether it's just the little white lie or whether it's, you know, you're committing genocide, regardless of which one it is, in the eyes of the Lord, sin is sin and sin cannot be allowed in his presence. Sin is not going to be allowed in heaven. Sin is not going to be allowed to continue. After the great white throne judgment, sin's gone. It's over. It's done. 
So we begin to realize that, that, that as, as, as we start talking about how we view sin, how we view change, how we view wisdom, how we view instruction, it all comes down to how God is going to dictate it. This is why we get back to this righteousness issue, the, the instruction in righteousness, because it is God's righteousness that we've already established when we took a look at over there at Romans 10.3. Uh, take a look at another verse, uh, a couple of chapters back. Let's go ahead and go to, um, chapter 10, the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. And, and, and here is one that I want to focus on when we're talking about this instruction in righteousness. In verse 17 of Proverbs chapter 10, it says, He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. Now again, let's be very clear here. When God talks about erroring, this isn't like, you know, a programming error that you're like, oh, we've got to go in and fix it. Error is another term for sin. Just like transgression, just like iniquity, um, all of those that God uses. But here he, he's making it very clear that this individual, that if he wants to be in the way of life, meaning keeping his life, keeping the life of those that are around, what does he have to do? He has to keep that instruction. What does he do? He guards it. That's what a keeper does. A keeper is a guard. A keeper is a watchman. A keeper is a, is a gate controller. A keeper is somebody that makes sure that what goes in and what goes out is the right thing. So when we realize what he's saying there, he says, he that is in the way of life to keep his instruction, that means this person is going to value that. You know, you ever seen somebody put like a guard watching something that is absolutely completely worthless? I mean, seriously. You, you, you don't have armed guards with, with armored vehicles, full body armor, law rockets, RPGs in the works, guarding the toilet plunger. You just don't. I mean, even if the thing was made in gold, I'd still be kind of wondering why in the world anybody would do that, but still, that's not what they're guarding. That's not the important thing. So somebody that's going to do something with instruction is they're going to keep it. They're going to make sure it doesn't get away from them. They're going to make sure they retain it. They're going to do everything in their power that they can to make sure that it stays where it is supposed to stay in the heart. Why? Because their very life depends on it. Have you ever been given instructions that your very life depends on it? I remember the very first time that... Uh, somebody put a firearm in my hand. And that's a serious thing. Because you're dealing with something very serious. And I remember them following through the instructions. And they were like, you know, if, if, if there was somebody there that was not paying attention, 
it was the, the guy that was doing the training was was very if you will deliberate in his actions in specific words that he said to make you understand that you were failing to pay attention i i use all those words to say it kindly he wasn't using would you would you please pay attention there were other words that were used <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that really made you go, hmm, okay, I think I'm going to pay attention. Um, you know, there was threat of bodily harm. There was all sorts of things that were going on. But I just, I really remember that, that, that it kind of struck me as, oh, okay, this is something that I've got to make sure I retain. And it's something that had to be built up. It was a repetition of the same thing so that I purposed to do stuff the same way every single time to make sure that people stay safe. But again, it's a, it's a way of life. And, and, and this verse makes it very clear. You know, we talk about ways of life, right? There's a certain way of life. Some people like the country, farm way of life. Some people like the city way of life. Some people like the suburb way of life. Some people like living in a sailboat way of life. Um, there was a couple up in Seattle. They took a look at their finances and they realized that they could no longer afford their home in Seattle. Because the property was going up and up and up and up and their taxes were going up and up and up and up. And they were retired and they were like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they sat down and they began to look at it and they realized, you know, it's a lot cheaper to live on a cruise ship than it was to live in Seattle. Do you know where they live? They live on a cruise ship. Now, I couldn't do that. That's a way of life. You know, the, the, the constant entertainment, the small room. Uh, yeah, they, they sold everything. They completely changed their way of life and did that. But for some people, that might be fine. I don't swim, so get me on a boat? No, I'm not doing that. I just, that just, that doesn't excite me. That's just not, that's just not there. But some people, it does. Different ways of life, right? And, and, and not saying one is, is better than the other, okay? But I will say this. There is a way of life when it comes to spiritual matters that is the best. That is the correct way. And that is somebody that keeps the instruction of righteousness. That's the way of life that we maintain. Somebody that lives in the city is going to be engaged in, in, in if you will, a city mindset. They're going to have a smaller apartment so they don't have a lot of stuff. Seems like the suburbs, when you move to the suburbs, you automatically have to get a storage unit for some reason because your garage is full, right? I mean, that's the way it works. Um, you know, you, you get a smaller car because you're not driving longer distances and you just need something to jet around. You, you, you walk, you have a bike. Um, you, you have, uh, different places that you eat versus, uh, somebody that's, you know, kind of farm, uh, country life. They're going to be eating at home more frequently. Somebody that's, you know, in the city is probably going to be eating out more, not eating in their kitchen as much. Those are all ways of life, right? Those are conscious ways of life, decisions that they've made. 
So when we take a look at what we're doing here with his way of life, the way that we live, we have to understand that if we're going to make a change in the way of our life, it has to be instructed from God. It has to be. Especially if that way of life is one that's purposed to please him. Purposed to please him. Uh, I think I want to take a look at... Um, <clears throat> One more here. I've got a couple of them that are written down, and I didn't circle which one I really wanted to get to here. Um, let me check here something very, very, very quickly. Um, yeah, turn to Proverbs chapter 8. This whole chapter is is about wisdom. Proverbs chapter 8 and uh, verse 10. Receive my instruction. This is wisdom speaking. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. So you just mentioned some pretty, pretty important things there. Silver, gold, precious stones. Those are all things that we, we value. Uh, there are usually armed guards at jewelry stores. If not, um, it needs to be nowadays because of some of the stuff that's going on. But um, very clearly, we understand that, that there's stuff that needs to be guarded. You know, everybody always talks about Fort Knox. Now, look, depending on which conspiracy theory you buy into, there's either gold there or there isn't gold. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me, but you know, the whole idea and the concept is, is if you've got some big, uh, uh, place that's, uh, that houses the entire, uh, uh, you know, wealth of a nation in gold in there, you're going to want to guard that thing. And it's going to be guarded and it's going to be guarded heavily. I mean, we're talking about, you know, if you make the wrong step, there's going to be some sort of drone that comes out with a taser and he's going to tase you and drag you into a cell and keep you there for the rest of your life type thing, you know? Uh, who knows what they have? But we, we put value on that stuff. You got, you got to realize that God puts a greater value on teaching and instruction than on most humans do. Think about this for a second. You, you start off, you go to kindergarten and you're kind of excited, right? By the time you get to senior year in high school, you're like, you're done with it. And then you sign up and you go to college. And college is very different than, than high school. Uh, hopefully there's a lot less drama, but uh, you never know. <clears throat> but you, you, you go there and, and people seek an education. But you know, at some point in time, people just kind of call it quits on education altogether. They just call it quits on education. I graduated high school. I don't need to learn anymore. Graduated, got a, I got an associate's degree. I don't need to learn anymore. I got a bachelor's degree. I don't need to learn anymore. I got a master's degree. I don't need to learn anymore. It's like all of a sudden, nobody needs to learn anymore. God puts value on day-to-day learning. God puts value on receiving instruction daily. To him, it's more valuable than if I was to drag in a piece of gold 
the size of my Kia. Millions of dollars. Millions upon millions upon millions upon millions. And God says, you know what? If you learn a principle from the word of God, it's more valuable than that. We as humans put value on the most ridiculous things. Realize that gold's just going to burn up one day. It's going to melt with a fervent heat. The elements are going to pass away with a great noise. I mean, the descriptions are pretty graphic about what God says. And to me, it sounds like a giant nuclear reaction, but, uh, you know, I, I could be completely wrong. Because nuclear reactions have a tendency to just kind of make a mess. But when you start releasing atoms from their, their bonds and they start releasing energy, produces a lot of heat rather violently, rather quickly. And it makes a rather large noise. But God puts more value, as we see right here, receive my instruction and not silver knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than rubies. It's more to be desired than all of that. It's more to be desired than all that. Because teaching and instruction is one of the most important things to God. Because he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord, as we just read over there, is an instruction in wisdom. We begin to see that God is really serious about it. He's really serious about it. And I say all of that to say this because he wants us to understand that that he wants us living a specific way. Now remember, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is not our life. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, it is God's. He bought it. He bought it with his shed blood, he bought it with his death, and he sealed it with his resurrection. So there's no returns, you don't get to take it back, there's no, none of that. Uh, it's his. It belongs to him. If we try to live for ourselves, then we are robbing God. Let's just put it that way, just to be very blunt about it. Most people don't think that way, but when we try to live our own will, we are robbing God. Why? Because it's his. It's always been his from when we trusted him. So we live the way he wants us to. Now go, go over to first, uh, uh, not first, first Luke. Yeah. If you've got more than one Luke in your Bible, <laughs> let's go to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one, first Luke. Oh, well, that's a good one. <clears throat> Somebody needs to go back to bed. <laughs> Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one. Um, here's a, a guy by the name of Zacharias in verse 67. Uh, he's being filled with the, uh, the Holy Ghost and he begins prophesying. And he, he, he talks about all of this because he sees Jesus Christ as the Son of Man, the, the, the sacrifice that came, uh, to, to pay for our sins. And that's the concept behind the Son of Man. Concept behind the Son of Man is that he had to come in the flesh because man had to die and he came that way. You can't kill God. So he came in the flesh to give his life willingly. As we go down here a little bit further, um, uh, we find in verse 74, it says that he would grant uh, 
unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. This is an oath that God swore to Abraham, we find in verse 73. That he was going to make it possible to do that. To to what? To serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. You know what that means? That means that that's possible. That's possible. Now, look, we, we use the nation of Israel as, and I'm not saying this in a derogatory manner, but we use them as a punching bag. I mean, we, we, we're we like, oh, man, look at what they did. Oh, man, look at what they did. Oh, wow, look at how bad they were. Oh, wow. Okay, you know, we actually need to stop and look at ourselves and go, Ugh, oh, wow. <laughs> we, need, we, we need to use ourselves as a little bit of a punching bag. Look, I'm not talking about self-deprecation where you're, you're just putting yourself down and stuff like that. I can't do anything. I can't do anything right. That is a wrong, sinful mindset. That is something that is of the devil, and it just needs to stop. Uh, there is a change that needs to occur with that thought process. But, but what, what I'm saying here is this, is that when we look at Israel, we think they can't do it. God just said they can. The one that was used as the example of just constantly turning to idolatry, and, and if you will, the idol of self, not just Baal and all those other idols that they worshipped, but I'm talking about themselves. They worshipped themselves. They did that which was right in their own eyes. They went to about establish their own righteousness. That is idolatry of self. That's pride. It's Luciferian. It's satanic at its very core. Because that's exactly what Lucifer did. So when we begin to see here, he's he, he's saying this is a possibility. This is not just a possibility as as an option. This is possible to do. This is something that he's commanding us to do. There's so many verses that talk about be perfect as I am perfect. Be or, or be, be perfect. He says be holy as I am holy. All of those things that we see. So it's it's possible to do righteousness because again we believe that the word of God is true, right? We believe that the word of God is complete, it's true, and everything that's written in there, we can get application from. So when we talk, start talking about Philippians 4.13, I could do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, then that means that I can do it. If we don't think we can do it, then we are calling God a liar. Now look, so far I've already said that we got to be careful, otherwise we're going to call God a liar, which makes us a liar, because he doesn't lie. If we say it's not possible, then we're the liar. If we, if we do things on our own will, we're robbing God. We're a thief. Why do you think Paul talked about those two things over in Ephesians 4? Because that mindset is something that has to be combated daily. And it has to be put down daily. And he walks through the process of doing it. Speak truth and you won't lie. Work with your hands to give to those that need, and you won't take. There's the concept. There's the concept that we see. But all of these things just show that righteousness is something that we can do. Again, turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. 
First Peter chapter four. And we, we've talked about first Peter, but, but, but this is important to, to, to go over again because well, review is part of instruction. Verse one of first Peter four says, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind for he hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Now, he makes it very clear here that this is what we're supposed to be doing. He says should. That that he should no longer, uh, that he no longer should live the rest of his uh, time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. There's a lot of shoulds. But God says we should do something specific. Live according to his will. His will is righteousness. So he makes it very, very, very evident here that these are things that we have the ability to do because God has given us that strength through his word, through the Holy Spirit. We can make that change happen. We can make that change happen. And before I close this, this entire series, I want us to go over to, uh, to Second Kings chapter 22. And I want us to see something here. Second Kings chapter 22 talks about an eight-year-old by the name of Josiah. Josiah uh, just inherits the kingdom. And that uh, kingdom uh, is kind of uh, in a disarray. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty bad. Because if you go to the previous chapter in chapter 21 and verse 20, talking about uh, uh, um, uh, Amon here when he was ruling, uh, what did he say he did in verse 20? He did evil in the sight of the Lord uh, as his father Manasseh did. We find verse 22, he forsook the Lord God of his fathers and walked not in the way of the Lord. And here comes his son, Josiah. Now, I want, you, I want you to think about this. Here, here is a situation, and this is why I never believe that we are the product of our environment. Environment can't have an effect on us, but we have a choice to let it affect us or to not let it affect us. Josiah grew up in a household where his father walked and served the idols that Manasseh did and worshipped them and forsook the Lord and walked not in the way of the Lord. His own servants conspired to kill him and slew him in the house. He's eight years old. Would we want an eight-year-old running the United States of America? Don't answer that. <laughs> Don't answer that. <laughs> if it was Josiah, absolutely. Absolutely. There'd be a lot of change. There'd be a lot of change. <clears throat> but here he is, eight years old. Man, he came from a very, 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 very sinful home. 
God was not talked about. God was not respected. God was not honored. And we find here is that he, he begins to, to reign. And in chapter 22 and in verse 2, it says, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not to the right hand nor to the left. He was neither conservative nor liberal. You know what he was? He was godly. Big difference. He kept that way of life. Now, again, we're going to find out here in just a moment as we go through this chapter, the law had been kind of lost. They misplaced the Bible, so to speak. Because as they're going through and he he decides he's going to go ahead and uh, uh, start getting uh, the things with the house of the Lord back together again, um, um, you know, going through all the stuff that they'd given, putting it back in order as they're going about doing this in verse 8. It says, In Hilkiah the high priest said unto Saphon the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Saphon and he read it. Could you imagine that they hadn't had that in a while? And here's, here, here is, uh, um, uh, Safan, the scribe, and he's all excited. He's like, finally, I get to write something down worth meeting. You know? <clears throat> what, what are you going to be a scribe of if you don't have a copy of the original? Anyways, here he's got his job back. <laughs> he's actually doing something. He's excited. He begins to read it, and then, oh man, there's a lot of stuff that just kind of, right there in in the face and he takes it to the king <clears throat> he brought there uh brought it to the king and they said that they found uh uh the uh the the law and uh, as he begins to read it in verse 10 it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes he'd be excited if somebody started reading the bible to you but he began to hear exactly what was going to happen to the nation. Because you got to remember, Israel has a whole host of curses associated with them if they don't follow. That's why I don't subscribe to that replacement that we are the nation of Israel stuff. Why? I don't want any part of that. They can have that. They can have that. They, that that's their stuff. I'm going to leave it with him, with God, with, with the nation of Israel. That, I, I have my own issues. I don't need past Jewish faults being dropped on my doorstep. So here he is, and he begins to realize, oh, man, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. So he, he obviously goes and he sends for the prophet, prophetess over at the college. She begins to tell him that, yeah, you're not going to be able to quench the, the wrath of God, but you can postpone it for a little bit. You can postpone it for a little bit. Remember when Samuel told Eli what was going to happen to him? You think maybe if Eli had stopped and repented and got his sons under control, that maybe things would have been a little bit different? I mean, yet in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. It wasn't. Why? Because they repented. And this is exactly what Josiah does. 
He repents. Now, if you remember, here he is inheriting a country that is godless. He's inherited a throne that was godless. They didn't even have the word of the Lord. Now they've got it, and they've got a huge, huge slew of problems associated with it. But he didn't just throw his hands up in the air and say, well, I guess we're all going to die someday, and let it burn. No, what did he do? He did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, is what it said in verse 2. So as we go through and we see this uh, going down a little bit further here, uh, um, it, it says that, it, you know, obviously it shall not be quenched in verse 17, but down verse 19, he says he's going to to, to uh, um, stay it here. And he says in verse 19, because thine heart was tender and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord. When thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that should come to desolation and curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me, I have heard thee, saith the Lord. You know, that's what God wants. He wants the broken and contrite. Josiah was broken and contrite. He came from, again, just to remind you, he came from a godless home. He came from a sinful home and family. His grandfather was wicked. His father was wicked. Here he he makes a choice and he says, I'm going to choose. He repents. He humbles himself. Change isn't going to happen unless that occurs. Those are elements of change that we see here. Now he's got a big thing that he has to do. How do you get the whole heart of a nation to change? Well, he, 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 he starts. In verse 2, what does he do? It says, The king went up into the house of the Lord in verse uh, chapter 23, and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and all the prophets and uh, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which he which was found in the house of the Lord. The very first thing he does is he says, We've got to get back to Bible principles. I'm going to stand up there and I'm going to read it to you. He reads it to everybody. What have we been talking about with change? What has to be present? The word of God. The word of God. And it says, And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and statutes with all their heart and with all their soul, and to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. You know what that means? That means they agreed. And they said, yeah, we need to do this. This is the right thing. He took leadership. He stood and said, this is what I'm going to do. Now, I want you to notice, he didn't start off by saying that he was going to get rid of sin. He started off by saying, I'm going to turn to the Lord. He started off by saying that I'm going to walk after the Lord. Uh, I'm going to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes, and I'm going to do it with all my heart, and I'm going to do it with all my soul, and I'm not just going to keep it, but I'm actually going to do it. Remember we were talking about forsaking? Forsaking sin? Making it the pattern in our life to make sure that we don't go back to the same sin? I want you to see what he does. 
We talked about radical amputation. Look at how far he goes. So what does he do? As we go through the next few verses, we find out that he starts just, if you will, just clearing house. He just starts taking care of business. And we find in verse 5, what does he do? He puts down the idolatrous priests. In verse 6, he takes the things that were there and burns them in the brook Kindra and stamps it into a small powder, casts the powder upon the graves of the children. You know, it's really hard to go back to something that you burned, ground into powder, and then scattered over a grave. How are you going to go back to that sin? He effectively destroyed it. He break down the houses of the Sodomites in verse 7. And he says, and he break down the high places and the gates that were in the entering of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, meaning he went right to the source of the issue, the governor of the city in verse 8, and he made sure that they weren't doing anything and that nothing that was there that was being allowed was going to happen and occur that was sinful. In verse 10, what does he do? He starts going through, and I, I don't want to say he was having a little fun with this, but... To a certain degree, I look at this and I kind of, I don't want to say I chuckle or laugh, but I just kind of get a little bit of a smile. In verse 10, and he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. He, he defiled it. I don't know exactly what that means, but it basically, at that point, nobody wanted to go back there. Now, how he defiled it, I don't know. It might be a question for Josiah when we get up there. But I really don't think we're going to care, to be honest with you. But you know what he does? He defiled it. So much for the defiling of the things of God. He said, now we're going to defile these. Oh, I'm sorry. You use this spoon to do what? You, you, you use this knife to do what? I'm going to take it. And I'm going to defile. Oh, you can't do that. No, 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 no. Don't touch it. No, you're not allowed to touch that. And he's like, I'm touching it. I'm touching it. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's my imagination. I just imagine him walking in there and, and, and they're like, oh, no, you can't. You can't be in here. And he just like takes one big step in and goes, I'm the king. I don't care. I'm like, no, no, you can't touch that idol. <laughs> defiles it like it's all junk it's all garbage it's all just refuse now and he keeps doing this he did this further down we find that he takes in, in verse uh, verse uh, 11 he burns the chariots uh, of the sun with fire they were worshiping using those to worship the, uh, the sun he burns them he continues to go down all the altars and stuff. He beats them down in verse 12 and he broke, breaks them down, casts them in the, uh, into the, the brook Kidron. At one point in time, he takes it further down in this chapter. He takes the bones of the old prophets and takes them out of their graves and burns them on their own altar, defiling their own altar to their gods. He goes through, I mean, he keeps doing this, all these things. Verse 13, again, what does he do? He the, all, all of the abominations of the children of Ammon, Ammon he did uh, defile in verse 13. In verse 14, again, he's breaking them down and he's cutting things down. He's burning things in verse 15. I mean, he just he's going on a wholesale just clearance of everything. Well, that's a bit extreme. How bad do you want the change? 
How bad do you want that instruction from God? How bad do you want the truth? How bad do you want to be told what the right thing to do is? He wasn't going to let any of this stuff fly. He just starts going through. He, 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 he takes them away in verse 19. He kills all the priests. In verse 21, then after he's done all that and he's, he's purposed in his heart, he's like, okay, we got all this junk out of here. Now, now what we're going to do is we're going to have a Passover feast like there's been no Passover feast before. And he has a Passover that the Bible says that there was none like it ever. There was none like it ever. And again, he's telling them in verse 21, we're going to keep it the way the Lord told us and keep it according to his word. Not the way that we've done it with our traditions, but the way that God wants it done. The way that God wants it done. He continues to go down in in, in verse 24. Again, he's taking all these uh, workers with familiar spirits and wizards and images and all these things, and he puts them away. Uh, uh, he, uh, he, he does all of this and, and I, I want us to understand here in verse 25, we see the heart of him. And this is really what it talks about when it comes to real change. In verse 25, and like unto him, there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. He wholesale went after God with everything. Now he still made some pretty big mistakes. He still let some pride get in there when he got into, when he picked the wrong fight. Picked the wrong fight with a Pharaoh that God was working with. And, uh, end result was is he died. Kind of cut short his reign. Man, how long would he have lived? What would have the impact have been if he hadn't done that? Just something to think about. But, but, but I show all of this to, to get us to the point of where we realize that at this point, and, and, and if you read the parallel passages over there in Second um, Chronicles, you, you find that Josiah was truly invested in changing an entire nation. Not only was he not going to do what his fathers did, And this is why, again, you know, you, you go through that whole Freudian thing of blaming your parents for your problems. You know what that is? That's just a cop out. That's all it is. You have the choice. You have a choice. You have a choice to live righteously regardless of what anyone else does. Even if you live in a home that doesn't have the word of God. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Because God wrote it on your heart, according to Romans. 
And we realize here he is wanting to make this change, wanting to go through all of this. Knowing that in the end that they were going to turn back, he still said, I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to lead the nation into doing what is right. And because he made the decision to make a change in his life, changing from a family of wicked men to the king that was described as no other king followed the Lord or or, or turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might like Josiah. They did everything over here in their power to stay away from God. He does everything in his, what he can do to, to, to turn to the Lord, to cling to him, to keep his commandments and to do it all. He, he made that choice. And because he makes that choice, the people surrounding him, it impacted them. And this is where I want to get to one of the the key parts and key things about change. I've said, you don't make change for ourselves. We take a look in our life and we go, oh man, I got to get rid of that. Okay, yeah, I get that. But I, I need to get rid of that so 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 that you know I I can be a better person. It's still about yourself. You're still, you're still, you're still dragging the flesh into this. No, we need to, to, to say, I want to change according to what God desires of me. And, and if I'm going to change according to what God desires of me, then I'm going to make the change for the Lord. If I make the change for the Lord, then I'm making a change for someone else. We talk about environment and, and we talk about influences and we talk about affections. And affections, as I've always said, are the things that we allow. All right? It's what we allow. Our heart is affected a certain way. You're, you're standing on a sidewalk, two people. A really nice supercar goes by. And somebody that's affected by that because they like those type of cars, they go, ooh, that's nice looking. And somebody that's there that could care less because they'd rather drive their little Kia four-door Optima. And they look at it and they go, it's a car, right? They're probably thinking, that's a lot of service cost, <laughs> right? Different affections. But at the same time, that person that's not affected by that could walk by a house and go, oh, wow, look at that house. And the other person's like, it's a house. You know? doesn't have a garage for my sports car that I just saw drive by. <laughs> you know? We, we, we allow those affections. And, and here's, here, here comes the important part. When we are making the change for the Lord, somebody else is going to see that change. 
And that change is going to be kind of like Josiah here. It's going to edify. Somebody else is going to see that and go, well, if they can do that, how'd you do that? Only by Jesus. (laughs) Huh. It makes an effect. Because now they're allowing it to affect them. Now they're allowing that change to take place in their life. Change isn't just about us. It's about those that are around us. Somebody that's so stubborn and they're going to be in their sin and they're going to be like, well, it doesn't affect anyone else. I'm just going to do it. And it doesn't matter. I'm just going to live my own life. I'm going to do this. Fails to understand the love of God. Fails to understand how great it is. Fails to understand the communication of it to others. It's what real change is about. We make change in our lives to please God, first and foremost. We make change to help others. We've got to come to that understanding when we start thinking about change. Our self, our pride, our it just goes out the window. Humbleness of mind, humility of heart is at the forefront. Change starts there. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for just having an opportunity to go through some of these things and see what you have from your word about change. Thank you for the example of Josiah and seeing how those changes can be made in a person's life and the effects that it can have on an entire people. Lord, again, I just thank you for those that are here tonight. And Lord, I just pray that as we conclude this study, that, Lord, we would just focus on changing for you. That others would see it and be edified by it. That, Lord, our lives would be lived in a way that please you, honor you, glorify you in all that you've done. Thank you again, Lord, for this time that we've had. Pray, Lord, you just take us home safely tonight and uh, bring us back again safely for our watch night service on Saturday. And again, Lord, I just thank you for the year that we've had. And while it's been filled with some challenges and some trials, Lord, you've brought us through it all. Because of your care, your love, and all that you've done for us. And because of that, Lord, we know that if there's ever a change we need to make in our life, and I'm sure there is with each one of us, Lord, it can be done because of who you are. And I ask and I pray all of this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.